welcome to Wabash Center podcast series, I'm Just Saying. This is a series of audio recordings of my blog posts. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center, and Paul Myrie, Senior Associate Director, is in the Sound Engineer's booth. This episode is Teaching While Grieving. My mother was deeply loved. She and my father came to live with me on campus in 2008. Mom and dad became known in the school community as they regularly attended chapel services, lectures, and community dinners. Students who were my research assistants and teaching assistants were invited to dinner by my mom, who still cooked dinner for our family. When invited by the dean, mom and dad attended one faculty meeting. Oh, sweet Jesus, that's a story for another time. My mother, Nancy Bullock Westfield, died on December 7th, 2010. We funeralized my mother in the chapel of Seminary Hall. My students and colleagues attended the service and I felt an outpouring of love for my family. Mom's homegoing service was a celebration of her life well-lived. The celebration highlighted mom's 81 years of service, artistry, nurture, and audacious acts of justice on behalf of poor children and black children in Philadelphia. And the homegoing, like so many funerals, was the beginning of my family's long walk through grieving our beloved. In the spring semester of 2011, I was teaching my introductory course. Amy, a brilliant doctoral student, was my teaching assistant. One day while class was convened, Amy with reticence asked if she could talk with me in the hallway. I had divided the students into small groups with reflection questions. So the class was in this moment on task. I said, yes, let's go outside in the hallway and talk. Amy looked untypically pensive as we walked into the hallway and away from the possibility of our conversation being overheard by students. Amy said, Dr. Westfield, and then there was a full pause. She was holding her breath. She said, Dr. Westfield, um, and there was another pause, still holding her breath. Concerned, I asked, Amy, what is it? Amy said, Dr. Westfield, this time taking a breath to gain courage. Dr. Westfield, you've given that assignment before. I realized that Amy looked into my eyes for the first time during this conversation. I did not understand what Amy meant. I frowned to express my puzzlement. My thoughts raced in preparation to disagree. In the nanoseconds, I recalled the week before, but I could not recall the learning activities. I turned a half pivot away from her and looked into the distance as I tried to remember, tried to think. Amy in a gentle low tone said, last week you divided the students into conversation groups and gave the same reflection questions. My immediate reaction was to become defensive and to tell her that she was mistaken. But before speaking, I looked at her. Her eyes were filled with empathy. I knew that she was trying to be helpful. My pause created space for her to speak again. She said, remember last week you gave the same assignment and the students reported in on that assignment. Actually, Amy went on saying, this is the third time you have asked them to reflect upon these questions. As she said these words, I began to remember. I began to orient myself. I began to realize that indeed, this was the third time I had given the same assignment for class discussion. Without allowing my body to flinch, 
I jolted from the realization. In exasperation and embarrassment, I whispered in a quiet and defeated tone, oh, Amy. With a warm smile, Amy said, it's okay. The class understands you're grieving. Amy and I returned to the classroom and I called the class out of their small groups. When we gathered, I apologized without giving a reason for the thrice redundant learning activity. I quickly reminded them of the assignment that was due the next week, asked for any questions, then dismissed the class about 30 minutes earlier than our scheduled dismissal. Walking with my mother through her illness and then to her death had been one of the most difficult journeys I had ever taken. Even so, I underestimated the power of sorrow and the ways that it can and does affect all aspects of life, even the teaching life. My mother's death had taken a toll on me. Thankfully, Amy had had my back. The vaccine for the COVID-19 virus promises an ease to the suffering in our country and around the world. Many of us faculty, administrators, and students have personally lost loved ones during this scourge. We grieve. Others will not have had family and friends who died, but will be part of an overall experience of malaise communal loss and shock that continues to grip the nation. We grieve. The Black Lives Matter movement's demands go unanswered. We wring our hands, pray, and grieve. The insurrection at the Capitol building on January 6th sends a renewed wave of fear, frustration, and the anxiety yet ripples through our nation. The feelings of loss, terror, and anxiety continue to pierce our awake and our dreams. In our uncertainty, we grieve. We have to acknowledge that we are all teaching while grieving. Who is the self who teaches? In this moment of loss, our corporate answer is that we are the people who are seized by sorrow, hurt, and anguish. We are people who are grieving. Teaching as usual is not possible. In reflecting this classroom experience, I'm not trying to be confessional as if I had done something wrong. Rather, I tell the story to convey that grieving necessitates additional support and care. Even the most seasoned and conscientious teacher, while grieving, needs help. I am appreciative that Amy pointed out that I was stuck. Had she not told me, my realization would have been much more painful and embarrassing, or worse yet, I would not have ever realized. In teaching while grieving, who has your back? Who is your brave Amy? Other questions that we might consider as teachers. For individuals who are in touch with their grief, what grief counselor, spiritual director, or therapist will you meet with to process the effects of 2020-2021 upon your teaching? For learning communities who possess a depth of communal awareness and a sense of togetherness, what rituals, rites, and conversations will you design for this sad moment? What blue songs will you compose? What lamentation will you paint, sculpt, dance, write, or create? What new habits will you acquire to honor the dead and the dying? In what ways will you take your grieving and be inspired, be made brave, be summoned to a deeper, more meaningful call of teaching? 
What new insights on teaching will you incorporate? Perhaps there will be new ceremonies for graduations, commencements, and baccalaureates. Maybe new liturgies and rites of passages will be included in the senior send-off, the spring dances, and the yearbooks. Perhaps you will begin or end each class with a moment of silence or a bit of music or ask students to plan a community-wide protest as a course assignment. But be mindful. Sometimes grief prevents reflection, prevents action, only affords paralysis. Sometimes while we are grieving, all we can do is the little bit we can do one day at a time. Perhaps simply keep a journal on your teaching until the grief subsides enough to reflect and plan for change. The courses I taught in the spring of 2011 were not my best, but they were the best I had to offer at the time. I hope that the little bits I had to offer my students were enough. Thank you, Amy, for your care and support. And to our listeners, I encourage you to go to the Wabash website where you can find our archive of podcasts, blogs, and essays, information about our syllabus project, our journal on teaching, information about our workshops, colloquies, and seminars. A special thanks to Paul Myrie who composed the music which frames this show and is also our sound engineer and to Carly Hollinsby, the show's producer. The Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning is fully funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. This is Nancy Lynn Westfield. I'm just saying, and we're out. How was that, Paul? <laughs>